0: And the theme this morning is light. light. All right. Very good. Light and darkness. Uh, we uh, know that Jesus said that men love darkness rather than light, but God loves light over the darkness. And so he gives us an opportunity. i reminded, and uh, some of you have heard this you know, way back a long time ago, uh, when Joy and I lived in Dallas, Texas, as I was going through Dallas Seminary. We lived in an apartment where we paid $99.50 a month for our rent, and it was something like, I don't know, it felt like it was 100 years old. And it actually had cockroaches in it that were 100 years old as well. <laughs> and uh, when we would walk into the kitchen and turn on the light, they would just scamper and, and hide themselves behind the linoleum that were on the wall. We had this sort of this splash uh, guard that would go up along the wall, and uh, they would just sneak in behind there, and one of the great things I would do is I take that raid and you spray it all along the top and it dribbles inside that and then it forces them all out and they start, and we had 10, 20, 30, 50 might come out of there and they would just croak uh, there on the spot right on the counter, right where we prepared the hamburger meat. And so uh, there's a price to be paid for going to seminary and living on the cheap. Um, but I think about that and sometimes before Joy would go into the kitchen, she would make noise so that the cockroaches <laughs> knew she was coming in, so if she turned on the light, she wouldn't have to see them. And so uh, there was a variety of ways that we got around it. But it really, you know, it's really uh, an, an analogy to the way uh, life is for a lot of people. Uh, the cockroaches, I know it's not a good analogy for to refer to people as cockroaches, but there's something... <laughs> There's something that we don't want for people to see, and we will do things that we, do, we don't want our parents to see. We'll do things that we don't want our spouse to see or our children to see, and we certainly don't want our church leaders to see. And we always think God never sees it, but he does. And so we want to scamper to the dark side so that we can avoid that. I want to show you the beauty of living in the light of Jesus Christ. And there's a great text that we have as we go through the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bible, or you can use the Bible, it's in the prayer in the chair rack in front of you there. I'm gonna read the text that we have for us this morning, spend a few moments looking at this and learning some things and being reminded of things for a lot of us as well. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul continuing the study that we've been in Ephesians, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You Give an outline that uh, you might find of some help as we go through and study this together. But let's expose some of these things that God has for us. And the first thing that I noticed that the Apostle Paul talks about is to avoid the danger of the darkened world. He begins that in verse 6. And just to remind you of that, he says this. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let me highlight that first section. Paul speaks of deception regularly. And he says there's a lot of empty words that are vain that are vacuous that have no value and no meaning and we are deceived by them. Paul also said about deception way over in 2 Corinthians when he wrote to them in Corinth. He says but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Deception is a major tool of Satan because if we saw what he was really doing directly, we would be repulsed. So he loves to create deception so that we're drawn into it and we have no idea that what we're doing is wrong until we begin to suffer the consequences. Here are some of those deceptions, and we don't have enough time to go into this, but just a reminder for you to do your own homework in Genesis chapter 3. It talks about Eve being deceived. Here's some of those deceptions that are underway today. Deception number one, to undermine and change the meaning of God's word. The very first words out of Satan's mouth to Eve and then to us are these words, indeed has God said. And that's not changed. Satan is still trying to plant the seed thought in our hearts and minds. Did God really say that was wrong? Did God really say we should do that? He wants to create doubt by asking the question. He's assuming the answer that no, he didn't really say what he meant. And so we can begin to change it. Deception number two is this. You do not need to fear any consequences from disobeying God. Because Satan then, his retort to Eve was, you surely will not die. You can eat of that fruit and God's not going to take your life. You don't have to worry about disobedience. You won't get caught And God's too good of a God. He's too loving of a God to allow such terrible consequences to come your way. He's a God of grace, and so you can sin and get away with it. So the deception is that I can disobey God but not have a consequence. Third deception is this. You can determine for yourself what is right and wrong. Satan said to Eve there in Genesis 3, you will be like God knowing good and evil. You, like God, can determine and to know what is good and evil for you. Your truth may not be my truth, and what's wrong for you may not be wrong for me. There's a mindset in the colleges and in the high schools and in the elementary schools for the children that are here that is trying to portray that there is a level of truth that you need to make up for yourself. And what is wrong for you not necessarily wrong for me. There are no absolutes in morality. We begin to craft it according to what I think it should be and what my opinion is and what I feel about a certain thing. So these are some of the deceptions that Paul might have been referencing when he wrote to the Ephesians way back then because God had already experienced it in the Garden of Eden. But I wanted to highlight perhaps the most significant deception that I think is out there that is more of a universal nature that goes all the way around this world And here's deception from Satan. The gospel deception. Because we have folks that are being baptized, they have been able to overcome this deception. And the deception is this. Satan wants us to believe that I gain my salvation by the good works that I perform. I know I'm going to heaven because I am a good person. I know I'm going to heaven because I do good deeds. Because I keep the Ten Commandments. Because I go to church, because I put money in the offering, because I help the poor, because of my good deeds, I've gained salvation, a works-oriented salvation. Satan promotes that. Every other religion in the world promotes that, but ours and our faith in Jesus Christ. And then he also says, not only do I gain salvation by what I do, secondly, God. That ogre up there, he's sending people to hell because they do bad things. Oh, let's boo God because God is not a good God. How could a God that says he loves us could send anybody to hell? But that's what God does. Watch out. He'll squish you his anger, his wrath. Watch out for him because he loves to send people to hell who do bad things. That's the satanic deception. Here's the truth, the gospel truth of Jesus. Jesus. In contrast to the fact that Satan wants us to believe that I gain salvation by doing good things, going to church, sacraments, Jesus, on the contrary, accepts me into heaven based upon my belief of the good work he did on the cross. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus to ask for his forgiveness, I don't have to do a good deed to get into heaven. I simply have to believe that he died for my sins. Satan deceives that by twisting it. You can get to heaven but do good works. No, Jesus says, you won't get to heaven by your good works but by my work on the cross. Then secondly, I send myself to hell by refusing the remedy of Jesus Christ. God doesn't send us to hell. We're born going to hell, but Jesus changes our direction as we believe in him. So that's a major deception that is out there that twists the facts, that causes us to misbelieve, that causes our destiny to desperately change in ways that we didn't expect. So God is giving us that warning and then He says and in addition to that, the reality is you need to believe what is true because as He says in the bottom portion of that verse, and I highlight it on the screen in the yellow, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We'd like to believe that we can believe whatever we want, do whatever we want, and never have to suffer a consequence. We would wish for a world where I can always get away with anything and believe anything and always will get me to God in heaven. That would be, that would be a wonderful world to live in if that was true. But it's not true, although it's promoted as true. Because God says, I do have a time where the sons of disobedience will experience something That because they didn't believe the truth, they won't like the outcome. So there's a reality there. This is not politically correct what I'm talking about right now. This is not widely believed. This is not something that anybody wants to promote. It's hard to build a church on truth like this one that there is actually the wrath of God that someday will be expressed on those who have disobeyed the gospel of believing in Jesus as their Savior. That's hard to imagine. That's why I'm glad I'm not God. Because God knows better than all of us about how that will play out someday. All I know is that He's given us the hope and the promise that if I believe in Jesus today, I have escaped that. And that I have this new life with Jesus Christ. Because He did the work for me. And so therefore Paul in transitioning says, therefore do not be partakers with those, the sons of disobedience, those who have gone their own way. That's not a better together life. As 1 Corinthians 15, says, do not be deceived. See, Paul loves that word deceive. Don't be deceived that those who hang out with bad company, bad company corrupts good morals. It takes us down. So we need to be careful about relationships. Especially when I was in high school, the kids that I hung out with constantly got me in trouble. It was never my fault. And so it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to have friends that are always responsible for my bad behavior, right? Well, there is something truth. There's some truth to that, that we did a lot of bad things. And often it depended upon who I happened to be with at the time. So Paul gives that a fair warning, but then he transitions to the positive. You need to remember that you are in the light. That when we believe in Jesus as the one who saves us from our sins, forgives us of our sins, that his work on the cross that we see over here, that cross that he was dying upon and buried and rose again, that gives to us a new life and light. We become light in the world. It says in Ephesians 5, 8, for you were formerly darkness. We don't live there anymore. We don't live like them anymore. We have changed in Jesus, but now you are light in the Lord, in the Lord. Now, let me help to illustrate this. I'm going to invite Jackson to come on up here, Jackson Reese, one of our high school students here, and, uh, yeah. Appreciate Jackson uh, giving me a hand here this morning. And uh, welcome, you can have your own microphone, thank you. Uh, Tell us where you go to school. Uh, I'm Jackson, I go to Foothill High School right now, and I'm going to be headed up to Biola. Biola University. Isn't it a fact that Biola University is the best university in the world right now? Yes. Yes, okay. You heard it. Verified. Proven. And so why, why wouldn't everybody go to Biola, right? It's hard to imagine. Well, listen, Jackson, I have something I want you to put on. It's a T-shirt, and you can keep this as a souvenir of your time here with us in church. And so if you could just slip this on as the lights dim just a little bit because I'd like for the folks to uh, be reminded of how important the light of Christ really is. As Scripture continues to teach us about that light, and as you put that on, the lights are going to go down dark right now. And so, would you show everybody as the lights, as the lights go off right now? All the way down, all the way down dark, pitch black. All right. Now, look at that shirt. Isn't that great? Wait, there's something, there's something not right. So I think I know what I need to do. So I'm going to come over here, and we're going to remedy this. And so as the lights come on, we open this up. And as Jackson stands in front of that light, and you notice this light fixture, the light is generated externally. And as I had to open the doors there, sometimes if you think about these lights as being the light of Jesus, sometimes there are things that obscure the light of Christ. So the light of Christ is harder for us to be seen in. And it might be sin, it might be rebellion, it might be just slipping away from the Lord and not being close to Him. But the closer I get to Christ, the closer and more consistently I live in the light of Christ, the more He begins to radiate through me. So Jackson, I would like for you to turn around and let's see if that shirt has improved as a result of that. See? Isn't that great? Beautiful. All right. Well, look at, All we can see on, all we can see on the big screen is Jesus is a light, but he's he is and he is still here. We didn't make him disappear. But uh, the point is that Jackson, if I said Jackson, I want you to generate this light. I want you to make that glow. He could, you know, he could work as hard as he could, but he could never make it glow. He had to find an external source of light to radiate upon him, and then as as he stays consistently and close to it, he absorbs the light so others can see it. Walking with Jesus Christ is like that. I need the light of Christ to radiate on me so that I can gain his light and I can reflect it to others. And that's the beauty of what this story is. So thank you, Jackson, for helping us out here, and wish you well at Biola. The closer you stay to Christ, the more His light is illuminated to others. And if it feels like you're living in darkness, maybe you go back to the source, the light. If it feels like others can't see Christ living through us, maybe we go back to the source who is Christ. As Paul says, you are the light in the Lord. In the Lord, the light radiates out there. And then he says, as a result, you begin to have fruit. You're not fruity, but you begin to have the fruit of walking as children of light. Here's what Paul says. Walk as children of light, so you carry that light because you're close to Christ, and He is causing the glow to cause others to see it. And then you begin to have the fruit of the light And the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, the fruit of the light. I've got a little quiz. It's a pretty easy quiz. I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence. But see if you can tell me what tree do these fruit come from. That would be, of course, an orange tree. Very good. Very good. Thank you for staying awake. This would come from an apple tree. Very good. This would come from a... Perfect. Perfect. See, I couldn't do this without you. And this would have come from a peach tree. And what fruit does this tree come from? Fruit loops, fruit loops. Who doesn't love fruit loops? I have a bowl of fruit loops and a cup of coffee. I don't sleep for a week. It's great. Love it. Here's where the fruit loops come from. They come from the sugarcane tree. They can hype you up. They can take you down. So there's a lot of sources from which we can bear fruit. But it's interesting that you said an apple comes from an apple tree because an apple never comes from an orange tree. Or a banana comes from a banana tree but never from an orange tree. The tree that I am aligned to is the fruit that I should bear. And if I'm bearing the kind of fruit that comes out of the Christ that I say I trust in, then those fruits should become evident. Here's another tree. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself, Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. When I identify with and put my faith in Jesus Christ, I then have aligned myself to a tree, the cross. That's the word that we often translate that Greek word for as cross But it can also refer to tree. It simply means a piece of wood, like the wood that we see of the cross over here. It's referring to a tree of wood from which that cross is now to be constructed. And when I identify myself with Jesus, I begin to dig roots. And the tree of Christ, the cross, begins to bear fruit. And if I claim Christ as my Savior, and that I am going to bear fruit from His tree, that tree should align, that fruit, I should say, should align with that tree. And here's what Paul says, the fruit of the Jesus tree, I put it. For the fruit of the light of consistent all goodness, goodness refers to my behavior of doing good things for others. The fruit that comes out of the tree of Christ is righteousness. The character of my life as Christ takes away my sin and He imports to me His Righteousness. And then thirdly, truth. My mind believes in the truth of Christ. My life should be bearing fruit wherever I go, at work tomorrow or at play tomorrow, if you have the day off. It should be goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what Paul says are the fruit that we bear if Jesus' tree is the tree that I have planted myself in. So God wants us to grow and to bear that kind of fruit. But then secondly, He says this, he says, I want to expose the unfruitful deeds of sin. Don't even speak of them. Ephesians 5 says this, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them. So as I am in the light of Christ, I bear His fruit, but then I also expose those things that are wrong. In fact, I don't even speak of the deeds of darkness. have I'll an illustration of that. When our girls Jessica and Kirstie were uh, about preschool age or maybe kindergarten. Kirsty the younger Jessica the older. Jessica sometimes had a little spunky uh, spirit of uh, teasing in her and probably got it from me and one of the things that Jessica would do, they slept in the same bed. This is up in livable lovable Lodi. And uh, one of the things that they would do is they slept together and they would go to bed together is that Jessica would say, Kirstie, And I'm saying, young children, don't ever do this at home. Don't ever do this. Kiersey, there's a monster under your bed. <laughs> yeah. Bad news. And she would talk about this monster's gonna get her tonight. And I don't, I don't know why she would do that unless it's something genetically from me that I passed on to her. <laughs> And then the more Jessica talked about the monster under the bed, Jessica said, I even began to get scared. (laughs) I began to think maybe it's real. The more they would discuss it. And so often we always wondered, why did Kirstie constantly come into our room and say, I'm scared? Did she stand by our bedside? Now we know. It's Jessica. It's all her fault. (laughs) But I was thinking about that. The more we indulge in the darkness of this world, the so-called monsters. There are, no real mon- there are no monsters underneath anybody's bed. Those are fake. That's make-believe. But there are those things in this world that are destructive and hurtful. And the more we speak of them, the more we engage with them, the more we participate with them, it not only brings down others, it begins to tear us down, like Jessica talking about monsters scared herself. It began to bring her down. There's something that deteriorates our faith and our morality and our moral fiber to be able to live for the Lord. So Paul says, don't participate, expose, but don't talk about. There's a delicate balance. We don't have time to go into it. But how do you do that? How do you be in the world, not of the world? It's a challenge, but it's a balancing act. Of understanding that when the light of Christ is radiating through me, something happens to people. When I walk around the Santa Ana police station, I have my chaplain stuff on, and they see me. It's not because of me, but they see chaplain. And whenever they use a bad word, they ask for my, for my forgiveness. <laughs> Father, please forgive me, they will say. Well, what's happening there? They have a sense of presence of something or someone sort of religious-like, and it creates a little bit of guilt. When you and I live out the life of Christ, there is a presence of the light of Christ, more than just a badge or a banner on a shirt, but more of the reality of who we are. It causes people to think differently, and there's an exposure of the light, not my light, but the light of Christ that exposes and reveals and then draws people to the forgiveness that Christ died for. We want them to come to Christ so that when we can be exposed to the light of Christ, He will shine brightly on us. He will make it happen. As Paul wraps it up, he says, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. When you and I radiate Christ, the light of Christ, it begins to change people's lives around us. They begin to ask of the hope that lies within us, as Peter says. For everything that becomes visible is light. And then he has this little saying that might have been a hymn a Christian hymn back in those days at the church at Ephesus way back in the first century church for this reason it says awake sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you there's something dramatic that happens when we live in the light of Christ walk as children of light bearing the fruit of goodness righteousness and truth and let that light shine in those that are around us here's a picture of Sandslake Chapel the stained glass of Jesus if you like me have been over to Western Med now it's called Intergalactic something or other. But if you had been over there often when you are in the this side of the hospital their window opens up and many times I've heard of patients that are in there and some of them are having a really tough time and they look across the street and we have the light shining inside the chapel through the life of Jesus at least his image They say we draw comfort from that image when we see it. And I thought, you know, the stained glass of Jesus, it only works. It only works when we turn on the light. When we turn off the lights, nobody sees them. And I thought how important it is for us to live in the light of Christ and let his light shine through us like the light shines through the stained glass window so that people see And we are the Jesus that they will see. As we bear the fruit, goodness, righteousness, and truth, we expose the darkness, but we draw people to the light of Jesus Christ. Let me thank the Lord for that. Father, help us now as we look to you and your word. Father, it's so important to us that we would live this truth for you, that we would walk as children of the light, And that, Father, we would experience the fruit of the goodness we do for others, of the righteousness that you give to us, and of the truth that we believe from your word, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to live that life for you, aligned with the tree that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, as you light the way for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.